I've I've discovered quite a bit about myself uh, in in terms of, of weaknesses and, and strengths that I have. Uh, really pushing yourself right to that brink, uh, you know, you it it, it magnifies uh, all, all of your your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, things that I I would have never otherwise noticed uh, become just absolutely plain as day. This episode of the Smart Athlete Podcast is brought to you by Solpre, skincare for athletes. Whether you're in the gym, on the mats, on the road, or in the pool, we protect your skin so you're more comfortable in your own body. To learn more, go to solpre.com. Welcome to the Smart Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Funk. Today, my guest has a pretty cool list of credentials. He's one of only 15 people to have ever finished the Barkley Marathons. The S is important on that. Don't think it's just one marathon. Um, he's a Guinness World Record holder for the fastest marathon dressed as a video game character. We're definitely going to talk about that. Um, funny enough, he made sure to have me include the as a slow swim on record in a sub-nine-hour Ironman. Um, he's also the 2018 ITU Long Course Age Group World Champion. He's the Chief Analytics Officer at Envelop Risk, which we're going to definitely get into some of the data analytics and data science here later. And he's a father of three. Welcome to the show, John Kelly. Thanks for having me, John. You got a lot going on, so it's. I think I think we're gonna take probably our whole time trying to unpack what's going on with you. All right. <laughs> so, um, kind of give me a little bit of background. How? I mean, you. It seems like you predominantly do ultras. You've. Uh, I think I read you have, relatively speaking, retired with triathlon. Um, you know, how do you get from? triathlon to ultras or how do you really get into ultras at all i I always ask that of people just um most people don't look at a hundred mile race and say yeah that's something i want to do and as you know you know the starting line is not going to be near as packed as even just a regular marathon yeah so i mean it's i think for most people it's it's a bit of a snowball effect and it, it definitely was for me as far as racing these types of things um you know i I'd always wanted to see what I could do in a marathon and finishing up grad school. I just went ahead and signed up for one without having really ran or raced um, much for 10 years. Uh, and uh, I did that. It, it didn't go too well, but gradually I, I just said, yeah, I, I can go faster. And then it became, I can go farther. Uh, and, and then eventually I, I kind of discovered that, that, people actually go have these long races on trails. You know, I spent a, a good deal of my time backpacking and doing through hiking and, and kind mm-hmm. of um, running myself on the trails. And I, I never knew that this whole world existed. Uh, so that was, that was pretty exciting to, to find. And you know, once, once I got going in it, it just, um, it's a, a great challenge and uh, a great community and it, even at worst, uh, on your worst race, it's a, it's a fun day out in the mountains. So, I mean, what, what's the train of thought there? Is it like, well, I did a marathon. I can go a little bit longer and you just, is it just, is it a gradual step or is it, do you go from marathon and just say, oh heck, we're like, we're just, let's just go the whole way. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it, different approaches work best for different people. Mm-hmm. I've kind of been uh, uh, always one of those just 
dive right in, uh, see see how well I can do, and then I can kind of calibrate my my goals uh, from there. So, like I said, I, I came out of grad school. The longest I'd ever raced was a 10K, um, which was a decade earlier, and I, I signed up for a marathon. Mm-hmm. Uh, about a year after that, I decided I wanted to try triathlon, so I signed up for an Ironman. Uh, and I, I actually started applying to, uh, to Barclay be, before I had done an official ultra. Like I said, I'd, I'd done a lot of uh, kind of backpacking and, and what people call fat ass runs, um, but put nothing in the way of, of an official, official uh, ultra. Okay. So it's just like almost a natural kind of hopping from one thing to another in terms of being exposed to it and then thinking, okay, let's I'll give it a try. Like not, not worrying too much about it's daunting or anything like that. Just like, yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And I, I mean, it's, for me, it's, it's a quicker way of kind of getting to, to your potential uh, rather than just uh taking baby steps, I can use that first, uh, what is likely to be a massive failure, uh, mm-hmm. to kind of figure out where I am. And, and from there, then I can start to adjust and kind of make, uh, realistic goals and, and expectations. Does Just come in- accepting that I'm, I'm going to fall on my face that first time. Right. I, I kind of have a similar, um, philosophy. So I, I run a couple of businesses. And so anytime I'm doing something new, whether it be, new product or completely new venture i'm like I, yeah i'm gonna screw up like i just accept that it's something's gonna go wrong no matter how well you plan like something will go wrong and as you as long as you plan that something's gonna go wrong it's not a surprise and then you just adjust from there do you feel like that's a matter of being really really um analytically minded for you that that kind of mindset comes along or is it something you developed um, I, I think it's kind of two, two different things. Um, you know, there's, there's a risk taking side of it, but then also just, uh, the enjoyment of a, of a challenge of mm-hmm. seeing a challenge as an opportunity. And, uh, I think that having sort of an, an academic uh, or sorry, um, analytical or, or engineering, uh, type mindset, uh, those two things are, are correlated. Uh, a good bit. Like when you, you look at people who have had success at Barclay, uh, most of them have this kind of uh, background in, in some form of, of science or, or engineering. Uh, so right. it's just this mindset that I'm, I'm going to uh, set a goal and, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. So tell me a little bit about Barclay. Um, so for the people watching YouTube or listening, um, can you kind of give, explain what the race is and then tell me a little bit what's going on out there? Uh, so it's a, uh, race in Tennessee, uh, right near where I grew up and you have, uh, 60 hours, uh, to, to finish. It's five loops through, through the mountains, uh, mostly off trail, entirely unmarked course, um, it's it's around seventy thousand feet of climbing uh, over the course of the race now, and uh, probably around one hundred and thirty miles. Uh, he 
he says that it, the, that it's a hundred, but but everyone knows that that's that's off by uh, a pretty large amount. Mm-hmm. Uh, so only only fifteen people, uh, including myself, have have finished the race, and it's it's one of those where uh, the the cutoff is uh, and the difficulty of the, the race are set uh, just to where it's it's right at that edge of of human what's humanly possible. Mm-hmm. So. I kind of have some curiosities about the race. Um, is the course same the same every year, or is it redesigned every year? No, he he changes it. Um, okay. Some sometimes by a you know by varying amounts. Uh, I've I've done it four times now, uh, and in those years, there have been some years where uh, he made some changes uh, just to be sure no one perfectly knew the course. Um, but you could kind of debate whether how much harder those changes made the course. And then there right. are other years where uh, typically after someone finishes, where we, he adds uh, notable uh, difficulty to, to the course. Um, the, if, if you've seen the, the documentary, uh, three people finished that year. The mm-hmm. following year, uh, two people finished. And then the, the year after that, uh, he added a, a section uh, that, um, that you know, most people estimate uh, for the leaders would add about 40 minutes per loop. Uh, so okay. uh, about three hours uh, total uh, over the course of the race. I mean, so, what, so what's the allure, I guess, since you've done it four times, what's the allure for you of, I mean, a constantly changing course. I, I think for some people we would think, okay, I want to know the course. I want to know kind of what I'm getting myself into as far as how difficult it's going to be, how long it actually is, since that's up for debate. Um, you know, why, why go back to a race where you have uh, not entirely known expectations of what's going to happen? I mean, that's that's part of the challenge and, and part of the excitement. Uh, you know, the, um, you know, a, a big allure of, of sport, I think, is the, um, the sort of the, the uncertainty in it of, of not knowing the outcome. You know, that's, that's why we play the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so having that out there uh, really adds uh, a, a significant amount of, of uncertainty to it, uh, even more so than you would uh, find in, in a normal ultra or any endurance type event. And for me, uh, that, that adds to the challenge, um, and it makes it sort of like a, a puzzle to solve, um, mm-hmm. which again, kind of coming from this engineering and, and analytical mindset is, uh, quite fun. So clearly I would say, I mean, you're not going out there and just freewheeling it. You do some kind of preparation and you know as you complete the loops i know you can kind of stop in um i think you have support with you to kind of check in on your health and make sure you're ready to go for another lap what what kind of prep for you goes into getting ready for essentially the unknown yeah i mean uh, you're definitely uh not going to go out there and and just wing it you you want to prepare yourself as as best as possible And, and again it's uh, the race is set up to where it's, it's just right at the edge of what is possible uh, under the assumption that 
you have prepared yourself properly. So if mm -hmm. you haven't prepared yourself, then, then, then there's, there's no way. Uh, you know, again, kind of referring back to the documentary, um, John Fagarossi, the, the guy that finished third that year, I, I have little doubt uh, that, that at that time he could have drawn you a, a full topographic map of, of Frozenhead, where, where the race takes place. Uh, mm -hmm. he, had, he had studied it, it so well uh, and, and knew it so precisely by, by memory. Uh, so there's, there's a great deal of, of studying maps, studying uh, race reports uh, from both successes and, and failures in the past. Uh, and, and training yourself both physically and mentally uh, for that type of challenge. I'm kind of wondering, I, I read that um, in the last two years, there's been no nobody to complete it. Um, kind of wondering, is it? do you think it's the race director's goal to have nobody ever complete it from here on out? Or no, what, what's, the, what's the motivation for holding the race for him, do you think? No, he, he definitely wants it to be uh, right at that edge, you know, around 1%, uh, okay. which, which he's, he's had so far. And so as people get uh, better at preparation, as this sort of collective knowledge of the, uh, the area, of the course, um, of the best strategies to finish uh, as gear improves, as training improves, nutrition, lighting, all of these things uh, that have really added to um, what people are able to do out there. Uh, that's sort of offset by the difficulties to, to the course. So, so the goal isn't to, uh, the, the goal is to keep it at the same relative level of difficulty uh as as all of these things happen uh and so that's that's an interesting thing to me with kind of the the big uh recent discussion on on like the the vapor flies and the other things that are mm -hmm. happening in road running that uh give this enormous performance benefit and of, of course uh going back to my triathlon background that's that's an arms race in, in terms of technology and yeah. uh, aerodynamics on the bike and, and everything else um so, so people are, are taking advantage of these things to keep uh, getting faster, whereas uh, Barkley essentially nullifies that argument by just uh, becoming a, a proportionate amount more difficult. Right. Yeah, it's, it's its own arms race in a way where he's correcting for any kind of advantage that might be had via preparation or equipment. Um, right. And, and I guess the, the other aspect of, of that is, uh, you know, he wants it to be where if, if someone does finish, uh, you know, they've, they've given everything. And mm -hmm. he'll, he'll even say that the ones that, that finish are the ones that, that kind of uh, get robbed of, of finding out what your limit is, because mm -hmm. that's, that's the goal to have it be just hard enough to where everyone can go out there. Uh, and, and find what their, their true limit is. I mean, it sounds like more of a philosophical journey via running, which I can empathize with, certainly. So, I mean, what do you, what do you learn from failure? Since, I mean, if the, if the whole idea is that 99% of people that go out there are, are not going to, I'll say, succeed, depending on how you define success. Um, 
you know, what do you learn from failure by going out there at all? Yeah, so uh, that's that's a great question, um, and uh, I think everyone takes away uh, slightly different lessons from that. Uh, for myself, I've I've discovered quite a bit about myself uh, in in terms of, of weaknesses and, and strengths that I have. Uh, really pushing yourself right to that brink, uh, you know you. It, it, it magnifies uh, all, all of your, your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, things that I, I would have never otherwise noticed uh, become just absolutely plain as day. And then when I, when I take those back during life, um, some problem that matters a, a bit more than running circles uh, through the woods, um, I'm, I'm able to, to apply those lessons. Um, so it's, it's not just about learning lessons of, of how to succeed better at the race next time. That's definitely been the case. Um, mm -hmm. you know, both of my first two failures at the race, I learned things that helped me succeed, uh, the third time. Uh, but there's, uh, definitely more that you take away from it, uh, than, than what you would learn by just going out and, and achieving success on the first go. Yeah, I, it, can, it reminds me of um, this. Is, this book's still sitting on my desk. Um, Life is a Marathon uh, by Matt Fitzgerald. I don't know if you're familiar with Matt, but mm -hmm. I, I spoke to him several episodes ago, and his book all touches on a lot of the like life difficulties he's gone through, and how running in a way has prepared him by helping make him tougher. Um, so you know, I, I kind of think. I guess when I talk about running, it's always nice to find somebody else that thinks about it, not just in terms of, you know, how fast can I go? Because, you know, you can only go fast for so long and then you get older and you can't go that fast anymore. Um, but then it's it's this kind of journey of, I don't know, personal discovery or, or strengthening your mind more than it is solely, you know, a physical endeavor. Yeah, and, and strengthening the mind is, is definitely a, a big piece of it uh, as, as far as uh, there have been a number of uh, things that I've, I've kind of said to myself, oh, okay, you did Barkley, you, you can do this. Mm. And, and having that experience to draw from, uh, to know that you are capable of things that you wouldn't have otherwise thought you could do, uh, that, that's huge. Um, and it, also uh, helps you you appreciate the, the successes a bit more as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there are also individual things, just how you respond to situations, certain situations uh, that uh, if you, you pay attention to them, it's uh, quite applicable to other areas. Uh, mm -hmm. one, one of the biggest ones for me uh, that, that I've noticed through ultras is uh, I tend to let, um, I tend to let problems kind of, just hang around until they become a, a, a full-blown emergency before okay. I do anything about it. You know, I'll, I'll be out and I'll get a little bit cold or it'll start raining and I'll say, oh, well, you know, I'm okay for now. I'll just, I can make it to the next aid station or mm -hmm. wait a while before I get some more gear out. I'll, I'll be okay. And the next thing I know, I can, you know, I'm curled up in the fetal position shivering. Mm -hmm. uh, so those types of things, again, just, situational how, how you respond uh to, to different obstacles uh is is a big part for me that that requires though a bit more kind of 
active learning uh, than just kind of passively uh, getting mental toughness. Well, I mean, it sounds like you're like you're relying on that, like you said, that mental toughness where you're like, if it's getting colder or it's raining, which it often means you're getting colder, it's like, well, I can like I can tough it out. But then you have to almost turn that off that that to me, it's like that that skill has taken you, you know, 90 percent of the way you need that mental toughness to get through, especially an ultra. But then you almost have to like turn it off to do the smart thing to get you the the last 10 percent because it'll you know, it can dig you into a hole as you're you know, you're just talking about. Yeah, for sure. So do you feel like have you made adjustments now after you've been through those situations? Do you feel like you race smarter now? Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and that's, uh, incredibly important in, in doing ultras and, uh, being able to, uh, not make a mistake that's, that's going to, to grow and, and cost you the length of, you know, a 60 hour race or, mm. or even a 10 hour race, uh, any, anything of that nature, uh, strategy is, is incredibly important and uh, to be honest I, I think that's why i i do um fairly well at it relative to you know in high school when we were racing 5k i was good i, I was never great uh where that's that's more just a, a pure physical test where you're mm -hmm. for the most part uh going all out uh and the the interesting thing to me is is that some of my best races have actually come uh under the worst conditions uh mm. conditions where i was really forced to rely on my mind uh more than my body uh mm. i chattanooga a couple of years ago I, I i won a 50 miler after being um just completely knocked out uh, up about most of the night before um, with, with a stomach bug, mm -hmm. uh, wondering if I was even gonna start the race. And, and once I did start, I, I had to race smart because my body was not there and I, I had to fully um, rely on, on good strategy and um, really thinking things through. And I, I went out easy and took the lead at like, not until mile 35 or so. Uh, so it uh, was definitely, <laughs> Uh, critical to, to be able to to take previous lessons and, and run a smart race there. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have any personal experience with um, ultras. I you know I've kind of raced up to half Ironmans and historic. Well, the last decade basically focused on triathlon. How much is ultra racing a war of attrition, both with competitors and your own body versus physical ability? Because like you were saying, like you know when you're racing five k you are if you're doing it right you are exhausted at the end and you've hammered pretty much the whole way and it really is this very pure physical test um so so i mean versus that you know how much how much is an ultra like i said just this battle of attrition with your mind and and other competitors versus your body yeah that's um that's something that that is a factor more than than people realize uh, even 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 when they do know it's a factor uh, i've had some pretty incredible experiences uh where 
my my body physically reflects uh, my my mental state uh, mm-hmm. essentially. So I a couple of years ago I went out to do a um, a fastest known time on a, on a section of trail, and I, I was about 15 hours into it, a few hours from the end, and and I realized um, that the the original goal uh, was was simply not possible at, mm-hmm. at that point. Um, but and and as soon as I realized that my my body just shut down, it just said, "Okay, yeah, no, no more. Like it's it's not worth it. Um, we're we're done." Uh, and uh, so I was really kind of just trotting along for like ten minutes, and uh, got to thinking that there was uh, there was actually this this different record I, I could kind of alter my plans and and still aim for it mm-hmm. uh, and possibly get it. And and the the minute I realized that my body just it, it rebooted, <laughs> it was kind of mm-hmm. like I said, oh, okay, um, we can buy that. We'll we'll give that a go and just back from the dead and uh, went out and 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 got that, that second record. Uh, so, uh, it's, it, it's crazy how much, uh, the, the body, uh, responds, uh, to, to your mental state. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I mean, I think it's the easy way to kind of encompass the whole idea of like mind over matter. I think growing up, at least me, often you hear, well, I would hear the like mind over matter kind of ethos in prescribed for almost an impossible task like mind over matter you can do anything like i could like i have a printer here like if i think hard enough the printer will lift off the ground well no that's not going to happen um but your mind does have that you know kind of i want to say uh, a a limiter which you can kind of take off and, and get your body to do some things that you don't wouldn't normally think was possible which you know after you relax in your case you know having that negative thought or finishing then your body's like all right we're done and is gone like you couldn't go, you couldn't go again if you wanted to yeah and and uh you you, you see that a lot of times at, at the end of races um where if a race is um advertised as being say uh 100k um and it's it's actually you know a bit farther than that uh like a david horton race uh mm-hmm. which which they have horton miles that uh you know he, he says 100k 100k it's probably more like 67 um so when you get to where you think the finish is going to be and, and you're not there um that that makes a a pretty uh challenging last few miles mm-hmm. um but i i think it's also an important uh, distinction you made is as far as kind of this this mindset of you know it's it's a nice sentiment uh, of you can do anything uh, you you set your mind to and and yes that definitely has meaning for for some things um, but uh, it, it's not a matter of simply if you try hard enough uh, you, you can do all these things it, it doesn't matter how how hard I would have tried, how much I would have practiced basketball, I, I never would have been LeBron James. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's definitely a combination still of these these mental and, and physical attributes. And, and I think the, the truly exciting part, again, is um, being able to really d- discover where, where your limit is and um, 
pushing that that farther, uh, wh wherever it may be, um, and and whatever sort of that that limiter might be, whether it's uh, physical capability or, or mental strength or any of the uh, various other uh, variables that that go into ultra running. Well, I, I'm glad I'm talking to you, and, and that you made sure to remind me that your father. This is something I I think about from time to time, and I love to ask parents. I'm not apparent at the moment at least um you know there's this idea that we kind of tell kids you, know, you can do anything or you can be anything you want to be and like you mentioned like it, you wouldn't be lebron james no matter how much you play basketball right yeah. so i mean how do you approach like how do you approach that with your kids if you don't mind me asking i guess in, in trying to encourage them to be the best people they can be but also keeping that kind of realistic idea in mind that, you know, if, you know, you're, you're and I build, I think it's probably pretty similar. We're, we're relatively lean. Like we're probably not ever going to be destined to be a defensive lineman, like a 300 pound defensive lineman in, in football, you know? Um, so how do you, how do you keep that in mind? Trying to encourage your kids to reach their potential, but also not steer them down a path that's going to lead to like a hard dead end soon. Yeah, so I, I think, um, you know, it, it's important for them to discover what they enjoy. Uh, if what they enjoy the most is not necessarily what they're best at, that's that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so I, I think that the excitement and the learning and the satisfaction comes uh, from in improving yourself in whatever it is that, that you have chosen to pursue. And through doing that, again, you can learn things that, that apply more to, to actual uh, life scenarios. And if if they want to to do something that, that maybe isn't what they're most naturally gifted at, uh, as long as they're uh, challenging themselves and um, attempting to, to improve themselves and, and learning lessons from that, I, I think that's great. And, and in the end, uh, that's, that's really what, what I think that the goal uh, should, should always be is uh, it kind of ha how far have you come right. rather than where are you? And, okay. and so competitive things um, are, are great to kind of get a, a benchmark for how far you have come. Um, it's, it's a measuring stick essentially, but, but in the end, uh, most of, of what I do, they're, they're personal goals, uh, and, and personal challenges. Mm -hmm. I read about, um, from your blog, I, I read, uh, I think it was your coach encouraged you at one point to run a marathon, just thinking about running with joy. Can you tell me a little about, about kind of. Discovering that where you were before that to, and kind of the reason that he, he made that recommendation, assuming I'm correct in that that statement. Yeah, so I um, I was just coming off of Tour de Giant this year, um, which is a, a 200 mile race mm -hmm. through the Alps uh, in, in northern Italy. And uh, so the marathon was two weeks after that. I wasn't in the best spot uh, physically or, or mentally in, in right. terms of recovery from that. Uh, so it was, it was really just going at, about, uh, going out there and, and enjoying the experience and, and kind of, uh, re reconnecting with, 
why I have chosen this. Uh, you know, I mentioned earlier with, with my kids, uh, you know, as long as they choose something that they enjoy and pursue uh, that with passion and aim to improve themselves through that, uh, that that's great. So, uh, you know, the, the aim is to kind of go out there and remind myself why this was the particular thing that I chose. Uh, mm -hmm. When, you know, there's so many other hobbies and activities and, and other things that, that I could have chosen. Why, why did I choose running? And, and in the end, it's, it's because I, I enjoy it. So, uh, every now and then, it's, it's extremely useful to to step back and, and reconnect with that aside from just kind of the, the constant pursuit of, of challenges and, and goals. Mm -hmm. So that kind of leads me to um, your race in Boston was your when you're dressed up as Link. Um, how did that? I mean, how did that get spawned? I mean, I, I have friends who have done costume races. Um, which just seems like a, a dreaded affair for me because, like, unless it's cold, it just seems like you're going to overheat. Uh, so, how did that kind of come about, and and why even did you did you set did you do it set like trying to set a world record, or did you just happen to do that while you were dressed as Link? No, you you definitely uh, don't don't happen to do that. Getting that thing verified uh, and, and approved by Guinness was one of the biggest pains of, of anything I've done. Okay. It was, uh, I'm pretty sure, more difficult than a real world record to, to get it ratified. I had to, okay. to send them my GPS track. I had to send them uh, geotagged selfies taken at every mile along the course. I had to get signed statements from like half a dozen witnesses that saw me at various points along the course and at the finish. Uh, it was a uh, it was it was quite the ordeal, um, but before I knew all that, uh, when I originally came up with the idea and um, decided to do it, it was uh, again the race was two weeks after uh, this time uh, the Barkley marathons. So mm -hmm. my 2016 attempt, my, my second attempt at Barkley, uh, Boston was was two weeks after that, so I, I knew I wasn't going to go out and, and set any sort of real uh, personal best at the race. So I kind of just thought, what what can I do that would uh, be fun, but still kind of give me uh, some challenge to aim for? Uh, and so I, I I found the uh, Guinness records, which they they've got they've got tons of records for. Uh, dressing as very oddly specific things uh, okay. for for the marathon, and so I, I would highly recommend if anyone wants to do it, do it at either uh, I think Toronto, London, and Berlin. Guinness actually shows up and like ratifies things in person, so you don't okay. have to go through the whole ordeal that that I did. Um, but but yeah, it was uh, fun and. Uh, pretty cool to, to run through the streets of, of Boston and, and have people uh, cheering for me like that. It was though, like you say, uh, costume was, was not the best thing for running. Uh, it was a, it was a headwind year in Boston and, and Link's okay. tunic. Um, I, I mean, it was like wearing a parachute. Uh, so it was a bit, bit of a challenge. Do you feel like you got more like cheers because you're in the costume versus just 
you know your normal running gear oh for, for sure um it, it was though a matter of uh you know of of the people that that cheered for me i i think i uh, most people said uh go zelda another good jump said, <laughs> yeah. said go elf um this was back after uh lord of the rings had, had come yeah. out so i got a whole lot of go legolas um and you know a, a small percentage got, got go like right but you know it was it was all good was i feel like zelda's like they get they get the they get the gist but they've never played the game so they don't <laughs> they don't actually right. know that they're wrong yeah um so i i'm always curious when i talk to people like you it it's kind of a reflection of myself in some ways. And I wonder, um, obviously there's joy involved and that's a common link with pretty much anybody I talk to as far as why go out and do these things. Um, but I think you talk about this in your blog post too, being type two fun, not type one fun, which is another conversation, but just that it's not a, a regular kind of fun. Um, and I know I've spoken with, one of my friends who did triathlon about, I wish I could remember the pro, um, this pros blog who talked about, it's not about fun. He's not trying to have fun, has no intention of having fun going through these things. It's about the struggle and the endeavor. Um, so I, what, is there anything besides joy that possesses you to find these personal challenges? Oh, for sure. And, and that's, in large part, the, uh, the the sense of achievement that comes from it, uh, the, the benefits and the rewards that come from it, uh, again, on, on the intangible level of, of lessons learned and, and uh, strengthening the mind and, and that sort of thing. Uh, I've, I try to make it very clear uh, that there are points out there where, where it sucks, but during the race, it, it, it hurts and it's, mm -hmm. it's miserable and you question your sanity and, and why you're out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't smile every time I run by a camera, uh, a photographer or, or yeah. whatever. And, um, it's, um, so, so yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, I want people to, to know that when they do feel that, that that's, that's normal. I, I don't want, I don't want people to, to go try the sport and, and do their first hundred miler and, and get hit that low spot that everyone hits yeah. um, in, in a race like that and, and think that, you know, that they're, they're just not well suited for it. It's, it's not for them and kind of hang things up there because everyone has those points. Uh, and it's, it's the sense of achievement of, of overcoming them that, that is uh, part of what makes it so great. Uh, mm -hmm. I had a Barkley is often referred to as, as a, a masochist race. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's something, uh, that I, I, I object to quite strongly because that, that kind of implies that there's, there's pleasure in the pain. Right. Uh, and that's, that's not what it is at all, but the pleasure is in overcoming the obstacles that, that cause the pain, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the sense of satisfaction that comes from that. Yeah. And that reminds me, I, I go back to this thoughts on this um, episode a lot. I, you probably know Chris Douglas, who raced for EMJ. Um, I had him on it, episode six. And we talked about 
his kind of time at in a Music City Triathlon and where he basically almost, he says almost, I think he says almost died from like overheating. And we talked about pain and um, he mentioned about, you know, it's not, you don't enjoy the pain. Like you don't, nobody finds like all these people that do it. I asked about the EMJ team in particular, because there's a lot of very high performing individuals on the team. It's like nobody he'd spoken to, especially on the team, um, found enjoyment in pain. It's, it's something else. It's the joy of the accomplishment or the challenge or, you know, all these other intangibles besides pain itself. And it's almost this, this kind of like, you get that, you get that idea of masochism from um, people kind of outside looking in that don't understand, you know, why the hell is John out running a hundred miles on the weekend? Well, he must enjoy hurting himself because going for a run to the end of the sidewalk hurts me. So it, it must hurt him a lot, you know? So I think it's almost a misunderstanding of the culture from people who have never really pushed themselves to those things before. Um, I do want to kind of move a little bit into, well, I guess before we do that, before we move into kind of your job stuff, um, I want to ask you, you, you mentioned before we got going, so with your sub nine hour Ironman, you have the slowest recorded time for such a finish. And that was your only race as a professional. Um, yeah, I how'd you get yourself into that situation. It, well, so it, it was actually my, um, my third, I, I, I had three Ironmans within a couple of months uh, that year and uh, remarkable consistency. I think all three finishes were, were within a minute of each other. Um, uh, I've often wondered if, if maybe that means I wasn't really pushing hard enough and I was going just fast enough to, to get sub nine. Uh, but I, I know at least on one of those that wasn't the case because I, was, uh, I, I was shooting for place uh, rather than time. Uh -huh. uh, but it was... Uh, you know, I, I knew for a long time that after last year, I was going to uh, shift my focus uh, more to ultra running. It's uh, kind of where my passion is. Uh, it's, it's what I'm better at, where uh, I, I find more enjoyment and it, it doesn't involve swimming <laughs> is, is the key thing. Um, so before I did that, I, I went ahead and uh, went went pro, uh, which I, I qualified for uh, a number of times uh, through uh, Ironman finishes last year mm. and uh, did one race as a pro, Ironman Arizona, uh, and uh, just the swim was was worse than even for me uh, than, than it normally is. Uh, I'd normally come out of the water in about 103. I, I came out in, in 117. Uh, just everything that can possibly go wrong in, in a swim from uh, goggles to, to losing sight of the, the course to cramping, just everything. Uh, and the, the, the pro athlete coordinator, when I came out to went, went into transition to get my bike, she was visibly shocked uh, that there was a, that, that there was another pro just coming out of the water. <laughs> um, so I went out and just, uh, I enjoyed the bikes at a good consistent mm -hmm. pace on it and uh, about four or five miles into the run, I started to do the math and I realized, you know, if I run about a, a 250 marathon, I 
I could still do this. I, I, I could still go sub nine. That would, uh, that would be pretty cool after swimming a 117. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I kind of debated with myself whether it was worth it to go for it um, over the next few miles. Uh, eventually just decided, you know, I'm, I'm probably never going to have an opportunity uh, to, to do something, uh, some sort of dubious achievement like this uh, again. So uh, mm. let's, let's go for it and, and see what happens. And uh, I actually ended up running one of the, the strongest um, Ironman marathons I've run in, in terms of consistent pace. I was mm. still moving well at the end and, and came in uh, just around, I, I think I was 252 maybe. Mm -hmm. um, it came in just a minute or two uh, south of nine hours, so that was that was pretty cool. That was a, a way to uh, end, end on a high note with with that run. Yeah, it's it's kind of the nice thing about that distance is that the swim, although the swim is very still important, sometimes things can go very wrong, and then the rest of the day isn't completely spoiled just because the bike and then the run are such a large portion of the overall day. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about what what is your job? Um, so originally kind of going to like, OK, you do data science, data, data analytics, but it's a little bit more involved than that. Um, I know you've worked kind of in the startup scene versus um, corporate. So what are you doing now and, and um, how did you kind of get there? Uh, so I moved to uh, England uh, about six months ago. We uh, spun out a, a startup that uh, most of our business was was over here. So it uh, made the most sense to, to go ahead and, and set up shop over here for a bit. And uh, so I, I came over to kind of get the technical team stood up. And it's uh, what we're currently doing is quantifying uh, cyber risk. Uh, of companies uh, in order to price cyber insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's quite the challenging uh, problem to to predict how much companies are likely to lose due, due to cyber attack and determine how they're to best protect against that. Um, and, and one of the fun things I've, I've found uh, kind of finding myself in this field called data science, which I don't think that term existed yet when I, I first started doing it, mm -hmm. uh, is, is that I have gotten to, to hop around between all of these different domains and application areas. So I, I started out mainly doing uh, sort of biomedical and, and healthcare applications. Mm -hmm. I've, uh, I've, I've been in, in defense, I've, uh, now doing uh, cyber risk and uh, insurance, and so it's it's been fun uh, to to get all of these different problems and, and challenges, and, mm -hmm. and one day I'll probably circle back and, and go to the one that that I found was my favorite. Um, but but all the while, um, it's uh, you know kind of applying the same basic principles and, and technology to to different different challenges. Mm -hmm. It kind of makes me think about, um, so my undergrad degrees in math, I didn't go on from there, but before I got that degree, I, I went through calculus in high school and I said, okay, I'm never doing math again. And then what I hadn't realized about myself at the time was that I really enjoyed like solving problems. So that's what I enjoyed about 
math classes in general do you find that's kind of the driving force and enjoying all these different challenges is that you like solving new problems or do you have like a sub interest in the various fields uh some of them more than others uh i i will say that kind of where i started out in, in biomedical and, and healthcare applications that's been the one that i've i've found most personally rewarding uh, so far just in terms of the uh, application itself and some of the outcomes uh, mm -hmm. that, that I got to see from that. Um, so that, that definitely is an aspect of it, uh, but it's, uh, there's also that aspect of just uh, being able to, to take on uh, a seemingly impossible, difficult problem uh, mm -hmm. the same way that uh, we do some races because it's it's a beautiful course or because it's in a great uh, destination or a great organization. Um, and then there are others that we do purely because we want to see uh, what we're capable of. And, mm -hmm. and those are the ones that, that really uh, teach us the most and, and send us away as, as better better people afterwards. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Your, so your early work was... Um, working on problems with brain-computer interfaces and, and specifically with prosthetics, right? Yep. So why yeah. why move away from that? Was that simply was that just was that your um, like your academic research and then it wasn't like corporate employed or, or why move away from that? Yeah. So that was that was very much uh, academic and. Uh, you know, in the end, at least uh, for now, I, I wanted to, to try my hand at things that had more uh, near-term application. Uh, mm -hmm. as, as rewarding as, as that technology was, uh, it, it's, it's something that is, I think, academic is, is maybe a, a good term for it, and that it's uh, likely to, to be a while before it sees uh, real-world uh, applications outside of a mm -hmm. sort of laboratory environment. Uh, so that was that was kind of the main thing. Um, but then again, it's it's also a matter of um, trying your hand at, at other problems and, mm -hmm. and other domains, so that uh, you can kind of circle back to to what you did find uh, the most rewarding. That that's a a paradigm that's that's pretty important in. Uh, data science oftentimes is this explore versus exploit paradigm okay. uh, where there, there's there's this opportunity cost a, as you um, explore these different options uh, you're you're losing the uh, ability to, um, to to keep going for the one that that you enjoy mm -hmm. but if you keep going for the one that you enjoy then you lose the ability to possibly find one that's even better Mm -hmm. And so I think this is this is most relatable with with food. Uh, just just take pizza toppings. So you, you mm -hmm. really you, you like pepperoni. You could just keep getting the pepperoni every time, and you never risk having a bad pizza experience. Or you could try different options and possibly find one that that you love even more, and then start uh, exploiting that that option. That actually leads me perfectly uh, as we're running low on time. Um, the one question that I'm asking everybody this year, because it relates to everybody, is about food. Um, I like to know, so after a hard workout, or maybe um, one of your ultras in this case, 
if you only get to choose one food for recovery for the rest of your life, what do you choose? Ooh, well, that depends on what type of recovery, because to me, there's a, there's a recovery that is sort of a part of preparation for, for the next thing. Okay. Um, in, in terms of uh, refueling your body uh, to to get to the, the next workout or, or to the race. And then there's recovery that, that comes after the big goal race and you're kind of just more mentally recovering uh, for a while and, and not quite as worried about refueling uh, properly. So, you know, if it's if it's the former and it's during the training block and I'm just recovering for, for the next workout or, or for the race, I'm, I'm gonna do your, your usual kind of good, healthy, options, uh, things like recover, right. That, that provide a good, uh, carb and, and protein blend. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if it's after my, my big goal race and the recovery is, is more of a, uh, a celebration and, and a mental recovery than, than mm-hmm. a physical one, uh, pizza and ice cream every time uh, <laughs> I will, I will never turn down pizza or ice cream. <laughs> Solid, man. I'll actually, I started making some craft ice cream, so if you're ever in Kansas City, I'll have to make some ice cream for you. Nice. Um, if people want to see kind of what you're up to and kind of follow you on your own adventures, where can people find you? Uh, so I've, I've got a blog. Uh, easiest thing is to head there, and it's got links to my Twitter and Instagram and okay. Facebook page and whatnot. Uh, so the blog is randomforestrunner.com. Uh, which is a, a play on words. One of my colleagues came up with uh, random forest is a uh, very popular uh, data science algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's got that part and then obviously the, the running through random forests that I, I tend to do. Yeah. Sounds great, John. Thanks for coming on today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Enjoyed the chat.